Welcome to The People on Patreon, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on Chunk, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Like a broken record, magically repaired. Our guests today are Joseph Moscone and Felice Lucia Molina. Breathing wounds across the cliff-off folk-fuck folly of a medical villain, summoned into the Hale Imperials, Cromwelled into the expungible occasion of the labyrinth of Treacle Creek mind-droning star, till evil tickles acrostic. I like to think of each poem as a kind of vacuum, just sort of collecting, um, like, relics and debris and, like, hair and dust and dirt, like, on a rug or something. Joseph Moscone is the grandson of Italian orange growers and piano tuners from the dusty town of Bakersfield, California. He's the author of Fright Catalog from Insert Blanc Press and Demon Miso, Fashion and Child from Make Now Press. Felice Lucia Molina is the daughter of Filipino immigrants. Born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, she lives in Los Angeles and is the author of Undercastle from Magic Helicopter Press. She's also co-author of The West Letters with Ben Siegel and Brett Zayner from Outpost 19. In Chinatown, Los Angeles, set your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press, so you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page, and there you can find out more about the show. Before we get to our conversation with Joseph Moscone and Felice Lucia Molina, we'd like to introduce a new feature we're calling Notes from the People. Notes from the People is a project where we invite the people, past, present, and future, to self-produce a short segment on a topic of their choosing. In this installment of Notes from the People, we'll hear from Los Angeles writer Diana Arterian reading two poems by William Blake, followed by a piece of her own, and then a brief commentary. All right, let's give it a listen. Night from Songs of Innocence by William Blake. The sun descending in the west, the evening star does shine. The birds are silent in their nest, and I must seek for mine. The moon, like a flower in heaven's high bower with silent delight, sits and smiles on the night. Farewell, green fields and happy grove, where flocks have took delight, where lambs have nibbled the silent move, the feet of angels bright. Unseen they pour blessing and joy without ceasing on each bud and blossom and each sleeping bosom. They look in every thoughtless nest where birds are covered warm. They visit caves of every beast to keep them all from harm. If they see any weeping that should have been sleeping, they pour sleep on their head and sit down by their bed. When wolves and tigers howl for prey, they pitying stand and weep, seeking to drive their thirst away and keep them from the sheep. But if they rush dreadful, the angels most heedful receive each mild spirit, new worlds to inherit. And there the lion's ruddy eyes shall flow with tears of gold, and pitying the tender cries and walking round the fold, saying, Wrath by his meekness and by his health sickness are driven away from our immortal day. And now beside thee, bleeding lamb, I can lie down and sleep. Or think on him who bore thy name, graze after thee, and weep. For, washed in life's river, my bright mane forever shall shine like the gold 
as I guard o'er the fold. The Voice of the Ancient Bard from Songs of Experience by William Blake Youth of delight, come hither, and see the opening morn, image of truth newborn. Doubt is fled and clouds of reason, dark disputes and artful teasing. Folly is an endless maze, tangled roots perplex her ways. How many have fallen there? They stumble all night over bones of the dead, and feel they know not what but care, and wish to lead others when they should be led. Night Voice from Songs of Inurience by me, Diana Arterian. The sun, the west even, the silent and opening, the new in like with the silent, where trust and reason move. Doubt nibbles at the image, say, the beast in every nest. Roots flow and walk around. How many think to the dead, all washed over in bones, feeling that bright river, wishing for the other. One of the most difficult courses I've taken while earning my PhD was entirely on Blake and his writing and his art. Um, so I decided to take on a kind of creative project in which I used poems from his Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience that either had similar titles or clearly were speaking to one another. Um, in this case, Night and Voice of the Ancient Bard were both the final poems in a particular um, iteration of Songs of Innocence and Experience because he often would actually shift them around. The order was never identical um, between versions. So what I did for this poem, The Night Voice and all the other poems in a chapbook I created called Songs of Inurience was take those paired poems and kind of mash them up and also perform erasure. So there would be some words that I would take out, I would kind of make rules for myself, like only two words could be lifted in the same order and these kinds of things. So I did that while also simultaneously doing it digitally with uh, Blake's prints. Um, so I have these kind of really cool images where the plate matches the poem erasure that I've created. So it was really exciting for me to kind of reclaim the creative aspect of the work after a really difficult, critical, and scholarly experience with the Blake course. Um, beyond that, I think what was really interesting to me about this poem is that I wrote it before I had ever lost anyone close to me, um, and since then I have, and I think what, what's interesting about it is that I was able to create a space that describes the kind of strangeness of mourning and having your mind be in another place and thinking of the person who's passed um, without having that knowledge and yet it still feels accurate to me which I guess is one of those strange moments as a writer of poetry that you expect others to experience but I did not anticipate how that would be for myself, reviewing my own work after having had the experience I was trying to write about, um, but was basically ignorant of. Um, so to me, this is a particularly special poem from this collection, and one of my favorites. Now let's get to our conversation with our guests, Joseph Moscone and Felice Lucia Molina. Welcome to the people. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, thanks for Hello. being here. Yeah, thanks for being here, guys. So um, tell us... Uh, how did you guys first encounter each other's work? I first became aware of Felice's work uh, on Gauss PDF 
and it was a manuscript called Hair Hearts Flip. And then I think you you were um, you were coming around the Poetic Research Bureau, which is a reading series yep. I hold in Los Angeles, and you introduced yourself. That's one, true. Yeah. Very and simple. That works. Old story that goes right. back generations. <laughs> a classic, really. Yeah. <laughs> and Ga- Gauss PDF is a site. I can't remember it's who runs run it. It's run by Gordon J. Fowler. Right. right. And mostly posting like, oh, how would you describe the type of work? It's like really long PDFs. PDFs usually kind of conceptual in nature type projects. Sometimes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Also um, videos. Yeah. It's a great site. If if no one out there has seen it before, if someone out there hasn't seen it before, you should check it out. Um, tell me about the Herhart's Flip manuscript, um, or not manuscript, but actual piece. It's, right. It's um. So Herhart's Flip started as a collaborative blog between Sabrina Kaye and I. Uh, we started Herhart's Flip in two thousand six, and it lasted until two thousand eight. And it was essentially um, a an epistolary blog. We just wrote to each other back and forth for a couple years, and um, if it included a number of different things, it was just mostly us um, sort of writing frantically to each other on a whim, <laughs> um, and as a way of staying in touch and staying connected. Um, and so that stopped in 2008 <laughs> and then, um, was it, didn't you have something on Ubu web at one point or was it, was it the same? Yes. That was a nail hearts clip, oh, okay. which is, um, sort of a, a up of hair hearts flip and nail hearts clip lasted from 2010 until, until 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did the same thing of just sort of writing back and forth, living in different cities, bouncing around all over the East Coast. And um, so these were both blogs. Yeah, they were both they're both blogs. As they were finished, you transformed them into manuscripts. What what right. what about that? Uh, right. How did the trans? Yeah. Right. Um, I guess uh, what got me interested in revising or editing Herhart's Flip and Neil Hart's Clip was um, because well I didn't want these blogs to just sort of stay floating around dead um, in the blogosphere and totally forgotten and um, and I didn't want to forget about it Um, and so um, I think I met I met Kenneth Goldsmith in Providence when he was visiting to give a reading at RISD or something like that. And um, uh, we sort of, like, I just sent an email saying, hey, this is Herhart's flip. And he was like, cool, um, maybe you sh- if you want, like, put this together and send it over for um, publishing the unpublishable at UbuWeb. And, um, but I did that for Nailheart's clip. Um, cause it, it was, it was much easier of an editing process, uh, to do for Neil Hart's clip. Um, but for hair hearts flip, it took much longer because there were more blogs and there was just much more material to work through. So it, it took, 
at least a couple years to revise all of my stuff on the blog. Sabrina just sort of um, cut out entirely and decided that she didn't want to do anything with her stuff. Mm. Um, so that took um, a couple years of editing for me, and then I just I contacted um, was it Jay Gordon Fowler? I cost PDF, and he's like, "Cool, let's just put it here." Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I noticed you um, have quite a few poems that use epistolary as a framing device, like starting with those two manuscripts, but then in the book there's. Uh, dear Kim Jong Il, looking at things, which is also a, man, uh, a manuscript on Ghost PDF, but yeah. and then uh, dear Jean Baudrillard, uh, or somebody else. And uh, so, if if you haven't figured this out, the epistolary form is basically means like letters written to right. or between people. I was yep. about to ask. Yeah. Yep. So. Um, right. So, um, why have I decided to use that form? <laughs> and also the West letters, which is right. The West letters too. Um, this is true. I don't think about it so much, but why I feel comfortable um, functioning in the epistolary form. Um, but I think I do it because it's a way of engaging directly with uh, this person who I'm addressing. Um, regardless of if they ever write back or not. Um, Hare from Hare Heart's Flip wrote back, um, and it we just sort of fell into this um, rhythm of bouncing back and forth, writing back to each other. And so that was, it generated its own sort of organic pulse. Um, and um, for the Kim Jong-il looking at things letter. Did he write back? No, he was he, he was dead. He was it too was dead a, to right. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's 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 to Kim Jong Il, but it's not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like um, I don't think it's possible to write a letter <laughs> to to someone like that. Yeah. Um, but I think I use the epistolary form um, simply as as a convenient mode of address to this thing or person yeah um, it's a form to inhabit right i mean it yeah. directs the writing in a in a like a very like a very certain manner but then it also directs it in a lot of like kind of more subtle ways that are interesting it seems like right and it's also your um it's an it's an immediate position to inhabit um it's sort of like being a batter like on a baseball field and this is your position or playing second base whatever like this is mm. the position from which to write from um there's something comforting about that certainty of positionality and i think it's a very accessible positional position from which to write mm -hmm. from um and it's um right and there's and a lot of experimentation can go on from that position right and it becomes open especially if the person's dead like kim jong-il or they're just not gonna write you back right even if they're alive like that opens up or that opens up like a, another world of possibilities right, right? right. for interpretation which i almost I, w I was gonna say well wes anderson probably but he i mean you know he might write you back 
Yeah, I mean, I think receiving a letter back is not is also not really what it's not really I'm asking goal. for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, so how did you first encounter Joseph's work then? I encountered Joseph's work. Um, I moved back to LA last summer, 2013, um, and started attending um, a bunch of the events at PRB and thought he was really awesome and wanted to um, get to know more of his work. And um, I think, well, Demon Muse and Fright Catalog hadn't quite come out just yet. These came out very recently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the last year or so. Yeah. And um, it was really just, it was just going to the readings at Poetic Research Bureau. And um, you also gave a reading with Ara, Ara Sharinian in San Diego that I missed. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's how I first, I think, became aware of you and Ara Sharinian and PRB. Well, you, maybe now's a good time for yeah. you, Joseph, to to run down what PRB is exactly mm-hmm. for people. We, we, we all know it here, but a lot of people don't know what it is or, or where it is or what it, how it functions. So, I mean, at the most basic level, the PRB, which stands for the Poetic Research Bureau, is a reading series that takes place in Los Angeles, currently in Chinatown, previously in, um, in Glendale. Um, maybe in the future it'll be somewhere else. Uh, and the initials PRB are intention. They intentionally refer to the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. Uh, this goes back to my uh, co-organizer at the Poetic Research Bureau, Andrew Maxwell, who had a germ in the '90s with McGregor Card called. Uh, did I say, what did I say? He said a germ in the 90s. Yeah, he, had, he caught a bug in the 90s yeah. to publish a journal called The Germ. They had a journal in the 90s called The Germ. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they also, yeah, they may have had a germ too. But, um, and The Germ was also the name of a, a pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood journal in the 19th century. So it, it had all this intentional like literary reference. And each issue of their journal had... Um, it had some form of PRB uh, as a presenter. So sometimes it would be Poetic Research Bureau. Sometimes it would be Poetic Research Block. Mm. Uh, poetic Research uh, Bedroom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so when that when that fell apart, uh, when the germ ended, Andrew Maxwell started a reading series in Los Angeles. And Ara Shrinian... Uh, also had a reading series at The Smell and with Teresa Carmody and Stan Epps. And then later I was helping to organize there. And The Smell is a, is a well-established uh, punk music venue. Yeah, punk rock. A uh, little club, heavier yeah. on the punk and the metal. Yeah. yeah. And the noise music the down, noise. downtown. Yeah. downtown which are, which are, uh, uh, R.S. Shrinian was a co-founder of. When it was in North Hollywood yeah. for a minute. Yeah. So we were doing our readings there and then that fell apart. And then Andrew just invited us to... Uh, Ara and I to uh, uh, join him in a reading series, but since then we've started doing publications. So it's and it kind of acts as an umbrella for um, Make Now Press, which Ara runs, and Area Sneaks, which I run with Rita Gonzalez, and other like just kind of we make little publications now and then that are just under the PRB imprint. 
So there's the publishing aspect of the PRB, and then there's also obviously, and most most obviously, there's the performance aspect of it, right? There's poetry read as performance there. So, and I know you guys wanted to maybe talk about your relationships uh, with performance in your work, and yeah, I really but maybe maybe right now we could actually hear per, oh, a something? couple short readings. Yeah, yeah that'd speaking be a good of, idea. okay, yeah. So this is a from Fright Catalog. Beneath the odd edge sounds to the twilight contract of the black fascist. Dead air phone call towards Dwarf Hill territory on an ICH Mathemat. The work which pull tends the overall vibration of the preachy yeast. Deep in the pot of the fresh antipodal weave wearing model necrosanct, I breathe spears, servile a shaving of the horn of the orthodox caveman, and cry for the weeper deciphering legend within the serpent snatch. Beneath the wings of the black vomit above vexed and vomit hexed, heir to the noose shams of optimism, black in the habitation of dragons and court for owls, the repellent scars and untold Upanishads of election, breathing wounds across the cliff-off folk-fuck folly of a medical villain, Summoned into the Hale Imperials, Cromwelled into the expungible occasion of the labyrinth of Treacle Creek mine droning star, till evil tickles acrostic, beyond the pantheon ensorcelled by chaos of Gorgon spawned by Vitus, black with cherry, the angel prelude hordes Magellan in madrigal pain. So longtime fans of the people uh, will recognize that as the second time that Fright Catalog's been uh, read on the show. And uh, the first time was, since we said it was Joseph Moscone, but it was not. In fact, you want to just take it and tell us what happened that first episode? I've, two, one, two, I've one. One was yeah. the first episode. First, yeah. yeah, I've always had a, um, a really difficult uh, time trying to figure out how to um, read my work live. A lot of it, when it's presented on the page, is, is very minimal. So I, I, I've tried different... Um, and also, I don't like performing. I hate I, I hate reading really, and don't actually even like watching readings or attending readings, even though I run a reading series. They're pretty boring but, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very indifferent to a lot of it. Um, but uh, so I I've tried like for a while. I was trying to get to to hire people to like read my poems for me. I even put out ads and and tried to interview actors originally with this manuscript, Fright Catalog, to read. Um, and as soon as I would tell the actors that it was poetry, they were like, no, I'm not going to do it. You know? Really? Oh, yeah. They were, I would get responses, but as soon versus, as... Versus what? What would they be excited about? I don't know. Movies, you shouldn't have commercial... Told them that. <laughs> you shouldn't have told them that it's poetry. They didn't, yeah. So they just, as soon as they stopped responding, whenever, you know, it was revealed as poetry... And uh, that's dumb. Even when I told them, yeah, you know, you, it'll be a performance at the Red Cat, you know, in in, in downtown Los Angeles, which is a theater uh, that you know is pretty good. And anyway, so I I had uh, my friend Rich Bot, uh, who has a pretty good voice, and and he's also I, has this kind of strange sense of humor. He's kind of like I think of him almost as an insult comic, and I wanted him to like. I, I wanted him, for a while. I wanted him to, you know, read as me at performances. We never got around to that. But when we did the people uh, first episode, first episode, I asked him to come on and pretend to be me, and I gave him no, uh, you know, 
no prompting um as and you guys asked questions about the book and everything as if and, it was him yeah and he was a, he was like yeah. kind of a dick which was awesome which is in yeah. line with the uh the like don rickles insult yeah, comic yeah. style yeah so it's really nice yeah so he like uh he he basically answered the questions how, however he wanted to and right. he also you know i think we went through the man like because this is actually a, a difficult um poem to read and uh we went through it a few times um and he read it in his own way, which was fine, you know, because I, I'm, I'm interested in the way that other, other people read my work. So it was interesting to see someone else interpret it. And now he's been writing, um, folksy little banjo songs to some of the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the stanzas in the poem. It's, he's it, been, yeah, he's been, he's been taking some of the, the, the words from the poem and, and turning them into songs which is funny because a lot of the words come from songs in the first place. Yeah. From uh, but it's, it's like black he's metal. taking he's taking them to like dust bowl ballad style or right. something. Yeah. And they're great. Yeah. Well, Felice, do you want to read for us? Sure, I could read from Undercastle. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Which is your book, which came out December of two thousand thirteen. Right on. Awesome. From uh, Magic uh, Helicopter Press. Great. They're based in Northampton, Massachusetts. It's run by Mike Young. This poem's called Numerical Sunshine. A face glows with whatever's been searched for. The rain is wordless and still we get wet. What caused this reverence for repetition we owe to the forgetfulness of birds and the memory of machines. Numerical sunshine means plants are programmable, therefore don't need sun. How should I feel when you fast forward me into a future nostalgia? I can crawl back into my body now, thank you. Or the candy nihilism of vacation paintings hung up in hotels. Basically, I am tired of laughing out loud in each other's absence when sunlight smears all over itself on a computer screen and you can't see what's there. Just an electric silhouette pretending you're here with me. Nice. One thing that uh, reading your your book that I was I was thinking about is that it, it, the whole Undercastle seems to be this this book of of memory in some sense that's kind of filtered through commercial objects in some way or also um, maybe commodities would, would be sure. a better term um, and in in some way like the objects seem to be on the same level as as figures from from literature or pop culture but but it's not but it, it seems to be doing something different than like this that sort of typical postmodern flattening of of hierarchy that happens with you know high culture and low culture there seems to be a beloved like this traditional beloved that you're addressing right throughout the book is that is that true throughout the book it seems like it yeah that's I mean, the impression that's i got when i read it too Wow, that's interesting. And and thinking back to like that that what I was saying about um, um, uh, commodities, mm-hmm. there's a line on page uh, in the poem Paris, Las Vegas, where you say, "Because of modern conditions of production, mm-hmm. love has never been more possible." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I think um, at certain moments in Undercastle, uh, in different poems. Um, I think vaguely and sort of naively about um, this sort of 
relation between self and uh, and other, be it whatever it is, the self or other is filtered through. If it's um, through the internet or through um, different um, accessible or not as accessible tropes in pop culture or things like that. Um, I guess maybe um, I like to think of each poem as a kind of vacuum, just sort of collecting um, like relics and debris and like hair and dust and dirt like on a rug or something and um but doing it like vacuuming in a way that's um not as um careful as it probably ought to be um and so it's just sort of hoarding a bunch of different um objects um and things that are recognizable to us. And I, I also, I mentioned this in another, in this other um, interview with, in fanzine, about um, being pulled towards um, spaces and things that are not, that are recognizable and not recognizable. Um, and so what would it mean for someone who never, uh, grew up watching a TV show like Full House um, in the 80s and 90s. Um, what would it mean for someone who's not aware of Full House to then read this piece, Full House, which is a weird, which is like a kind of... That you make, and yeah. in, in, in within that piece, you make it both. Like, I mean, even to the people who know the show, you, you make it enact the recognizable aspect of it. And then you turn it a little bit to at least start to kind of tear the fabric of what's kind of odd and what was at that point unrecognizable. That there was a surface sheen that we sure. all recognize yeah. and it's cool and you cut it out and yeah. you know, but then there's this there's weirdness going on that really a good friend of ours will uh Greg actually would go on a tirade about how deeply creepy that show is like, that's greg curtis so, greg curtis yeah. i mean and it yeah. strikes like i don't think full house is arbitrary though right like there's something about full house like i just met somebody the other day who said that their two-year-old is obsessed with full house like that's the okay. only show that their two-year-old will watch and that's like now mm-hmm. that's weird because full house is shown on on nick at night right at the, nowadays and they recorded or something maybe the 90s never stopped you know maybe it just yeah, well, I it, mean, you know, maybe it, the it, 90s is the first decade that doesn't actually need nostalgia yeah. because it never, yeah, because in many ways it really never did stop. We had the dot-com right. boom and the, or bust, and then, but then it never actually, it was like a momentary blip, and then it was like, oh, we're in the 2000s, and now, like, blah, you know, right. whatever. Yeah. Like, culture already, keeps on marching. Full House was already a nostalgic show for the 90s True that. compared yeah. to, like, yeah. Seinfeld or something. Yeah. You know, it was already, yeah. like, this, even the opening, like, Whatever happened to? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Because nineties, nineties, yeah. like ironic sensibilities were already in full yeah. swing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so like this super camp uh, version of family life, like that. But I think as as it was happening, as Full House was happening in the nineties, it was it was sincere. Yeah, well, I actually, I heard Bob Saget talk about how you know who's a comedian, mm-hmm. a stand-up comedian, and he plays he plays the dad the real dad in there and he you know there's often these moments where he'll take the kids aside like ward cleaver style and be like you know dj 
the thing that we have to learn about friendship, it, you know, and he'll just play it straight word cleaver style. And apparently, like, that, that was his choice. Like, he knew it was super cheesy. Mm. Like, he knew it was, like, the campiest of camp, but he was just like, mm. this is the way I'm going to do it. Like, sure. just straightforward. Yeah. yeah, and I think that makes me think about also, like, my my sort of, my own sort of position as a viewer, um, you know, turning to TV shows as a way of, um, I guess, kind of escaping from the home life and the house and um, growing up in a crazy household it was essentially like boarding care facilities and stuff where we lived with a bunch of people and it was more of an escape and also as a way of sort of learning about um seemingly like just like normalized american culture you know (laughs) there's nothing more normal than the full house situation (laughs) it seemed totally normal to me (laughs) as a seven-year-old that's great well on that note i think we're going to take a short break and uh, come back for more uh, Felice, Lucia, Molina, and Joseph Moscone. Back to the people on Kaichung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. If you're in Chinatown, Los Angeles, you can listen to the people by setting your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for the people radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page to find out more. Now we're going to return to our conversation with Joseph Moscone and Felice Lucia Molina by starting with Felice reading from her book, Undercastle. This is another poem from Undercastle, and it's called Dear Kim Jong-il Looking at Things. Dear Kim Jong-il Looking at Things, there are so many candies to look forward to with you. My favorites are mostly American, though. And even though you don't like Americans, I just want to say at least we have candy in common. And a few days ago, you died, and they sealed you up in a glass box while everyone looked and mourned. I didn't mourn your death. I just looked at this blog called Kim Jong-il Looking at Things, moderated by someone in Portugal. I wonder what you would think of this blog and if you would appreciate it the the same way so many of us do. It's just you hold the same expression every time you pause to look at things. It's like everything is the same to you. These moments make me laugh so hard. And now that you're dead, I wonder if you understand. Wherever you are in a glass box, I wonder if you could hear me. And I just want to say I like the way you look at things, whatever it is, sausages, Russian dancers, rubber boots, a book, snow, someone's desktop, people starving, etc. 
It reminds me that all things are the same. Everything and everyone should be treated equally. I is another, like what Rimbaud said, I is another despite whatever system. And as long as everyone is treated equally, everyone can work hard until death for sweet candy. Great. So that that kind of, that poem in particular gets at what I was uh, asking about earlier. And you can't be more clear when you say everything and everyone should be treated equally. Uh, Did you say tweeted or treated? Oh, tweeted. (laughs) It should be tweeted equally as well. It reminds me about that all things are the same, right? So, you know, Kim Jong-il, Claude Debussy, uh, Full House, Toilet Paper. Um, but then it's almost as if Kim Jong-il was the genius who was able to see through all of that who by looking at everything. All these things. Like he looked because he was looking, you know, I remember that Internet meme. He was yeah. looking at um, everything. Yeah, people starving, you know, construction. It was the same look on his face you know? right so. right um it's almost like if the kim jong-il was the internet looking mm-hmm. at everything appearing before him and holding the same um expression manner and sort of gesture or affect or something like that um yeah it's um what were we talking about, this that, idea do you, of... Do you think that's a part of internet culture, where we're just receiving information and we, we read it all the same, you know, oh, like in our Twitter feed, we'll, we'll see, oh, the, you know, yeah. seven killed in Santa Barbara, the next one is, sure. uh, you know, the new Thor movie. Um, I think so, yeah, and a lot of um, art has commented on this, right? Um, that because ultimately we have no control over what we see, what's presented to us, especially on a medium like television or the internet or any kind of visual media, we're just sort of like, it's like images are just being vomited onto us. Um, and information as well. Even we, don't you think we might have certain kinds of hyper control where we can totally block out? Like, I never look at Fox News or I never, you know, sure. I'm sure people who are into Fox News never look at, you know, uh, Daily Coast or whatever. So Yeah, we can, but it doesn't mean that that vomiting is still happening, you know, and, um, you know, all like vomiting in the sense of all these different, I don't know, like media outlets always being present continuously and you just kind of have to close your eyes or turn it off. I think... Um, I think it that this is a this piece Kim Jong Il looking at things is also um, trying to deal with that sort of numbing that takes place. Um, you start to get numb after seeing all these different things, a shooting, a killing, and then you know Kim Ye having a wedding, all this stuff, um, and so I think the attempt to make all of these things the same is a way of reconciling those arbitrary differences um, and samenesses. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a way of sort of creating distance between myself and the things that I'm looking at. And I think it's that distance that 
that distancing that um, makes those things seem even more uh, strange. There's been some writings in some art critical circles recently about aggregation and how aggregation differs from, say, collage, which where collage traditionally would, you know, uh, put two unlike things together and, and, you know, somehow reveal or, or, Mm -hmm. or some underlying truth or do a critic, perform a criticism aggregation you're bringing several different types of bits of information into a like typically a feed and you're seeing them in the same on the same level Mm -hmm. i wonder if that's part of what we're talking about here sure i think so (laughs) i mean i I think that um the stuff in undercastle would point more towards um the aggregate than the 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 cut up or collage or um, that Gertrude Stein if you put two things together you'll your mind will make sense of it kind of thing um, it's doing I think it's it's doing more of an aggregate uh, kind of thing and do and do you look at that that process or the way that that plays out uh, as as a good thing or a bad thing or neither both like because when I when I read Undercastle like there was a sense you know, you're, you're talking about Skype, you're talking about iTunes, you're talking about all these all these internet-y things. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily bad or it, you didn't spell out that, like, oh, this is a flattening out of the culture and it's 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 ruining everything, you know. But there was a, I got the sense at least, that it created that culture, the internet culture that you bring in, like, create some sort of, like, prison or something. Like, it mm-hmm. sounded, it, it sounded constricting, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's, that vomiting, flattening out mm-hmm. of that culture, like it, the impression sure. was that it was a bad, a bad thing. Sure, I think culture vomits on the person or subject, and therefore the person or subject feels prisoner to the vomiting. Yeah. Right, and there's a couple, and I don't remember the name of the poem, but there's a piece or several pieces in there where it seems like the the author is trying to speak with someone over Skype, and that and that distance is 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 increased right mm-hmm. even though and right tell right like the 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 lips get weird because of the skype image or whatever so it's even though you're looking at their face it becomes mm-hmm. the distance becomes greater mm-hmm. right right you're talking about instant ramen instant message yeah right which is um the last poem in Undercastle. well and then a lot of the uh, I think we already kind of addressed this, but I wanted to talk about this a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of pop cultural references th- throughout, and some are like 80s, 90s, but then also like methods of communication that are very, you know, contemporary text messaging, instant messaging, whatever. Um, and I I feel like, you know, poetry at times is, has different kind of things that it's, it's dealing with. Um, and I mean your work, but also just more generally, a lot of people are dealing with like internet just the wash of text and the constancy of it. And then with pop culture, I feel like there is, has been, you know, uh, a kind of obsession with various different pop cultural or celebrity Mm -hmm. figures. And I mean, anything from uh, Kate Durbin to Brandon Brown talking about, or Kevin Killian talking about Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue. Thank you. Um, And I wonder about those kind of obsessions, if it's just really, 
I don't know, like where, why are we fixating on these mm -hmm. things? I mean, you know, we're writing poetry. Why, why are we even talking about those things? And mm -hmm. I obviously I'm asking that in a rhetorical mm -hmm. fashion. I have sure. some ideas why, but in your work, and then I think also in Joseph's, like Joseph, you're pulling certain kinds of pop or maybe specialized languages, maybe not uh, pop necessarily, but you're flitting about on the, at least the edges of that in ways too. Mm -hmm. And what, what are these like specific languages like empower us to do on another level I wonder mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think um to try to answer your question about um what is this obsession with celebrity culture um I think one way uh, of thinking about it for me is I think being seduced more by um the distance between myself and the celebrity that I'm aware of that is so totally in my face right so um celebrity culture is also another thing that vomits all over you yeah that you don't have any control of really unless you turn away from it um and you'd have to do a lot of work right to yeah and that. so yeah. I mean that seduction is already it's inherent and um it's um I think it, it's 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 like communing with ghosts or mm -hmm. something you know these celebrities are essentially dead to me because i don't know them right personally i don't talk to them or yeah. you know insofar as i'm concerned they're not alive right right because they're not here right now hanging out with us yeah. talking but you're um, hyper aware of their sure, movements exactly. and goings on right so they're i guess that's one way of saying it is that they're um it's almost They're like ghosts, yeah. you know, and I think that I'm also attracted to ghosts. I'm attracted to things that um, have an image that appear before me that contain very little substance. Right. And you could maybe, I mean, when you're talking about it that way, you could switch out the word ghost with the word construct. Sure. You know, yeah. those could be interchangeable things. Absolutely. And Joseph, I mean, when you're doing something like Fright Catalog or Demon Miso... And maybe if you can talk about Demon Miso in this light, like how does, I mean, you brought up aggregating previous uh, versus collage. I mean, Demon Miso is an, a very particular aggregate, right? Like that's how that work was made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not so, I don't think I'm really interested in celebrity culture per se. Um, my, I'm interested in specialized types of, of languages. In Fright Catalog, it happened to be particular kinds of gendered languages of certain subcultures. But it, you know, it was also, in a way, kind of arbitrary. I happened to be listening at the time to a lot of black metal. If I made the book now, I would, I'm listening to a lot of New Age music, so maybe it would be called, like, you know, Blue Whales instead of <laughs> Fright Catalog, uh, which is which you know New Age is also gendered to, in in its um, affect and aesthetics to some extent. Um, Demon Miso uh, is also uh, well. I'm 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 fascinated with food, and that book that's a book about food and different types, different ways of describing food that are either through translation or just not translated, but uh, strangely named. Um, 
and it is an aggregate an aggregation of of, of particular names of dishes basically uh, using a Burger King font <laughs> and, <laughs> and Santa Burger and Santa, and Santa Burger is that, that yeah. font <laughs> yeah yeah and Santa Burger is the name of the font um, so. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, it's it's pretty straight. It's a straight. It's a very to me like Demon Miso is a very simple book, and it's also it's a minimal it's a minimal uh, a book of minimal poems in color. Um, yeah. But it's not a complex. I I don't think of it as like a complex work really. Like sure. It, it's very. It is what it is. It, yeah. It, it um, it doesn't have any. Uh, to me, I don't think it really has any metaphorical value. Right. Okay. If that makes sense. I'm holding demon fashion miso in child, or should it be demon miso? Yeah. Demon miso fashion in child. Demon miso fashion in child. Okay. And I just did a bibliomancy thing where I flipped to Mexico sachet to <laughs> with a light Easter purple page on the right <laughs> side of it. <laughs> yeah, that was a drink I had once. Okay. that's all (laughs) I love that that's I did a I did a performance uh, last week at uh, Human Resources which is a non-profit uh, um, uh, I guess gallery in Chinatown in performance space and um, I set up a little cafe and gave people who came to the cafe like menus actually I have them here Uh, and I asked it had the names of several of of, uh, the uh, dishes from Demon Miso, Fashion and Child, on on the menu, and I asked uh, customers to write what they thought the ingredients of the menu was. So, like, Cradle of Airplane is one of the dishes, and several people... I got 50 responses. Uh, one person said, a line segment, a forest, any old rock. <laughs> Another person said, child's blanket, seat belt, parachute, Fern, belly of the beast. <laughs> some people, yeah, see, some people were very po- poetic. And then someone else said, some kind of cheese mesh supermodel. <laughs> Fibers, large rubber straps, red cord. The idea was like, I would, oh, this one is just like lettuce chopped with duck. <laughs> so the idea was I would get lots of different uh, people telling me what these dishes Oh, cradle of airplane. There's an asshole on the airplane right now. Um, anyway, people would be telling me what these dishes were, and I would, I'm going to make a few of them based on these ingredients. Nice. Um, maybe not the more poetic ones, but uh, like one of them is actually poached eggs on sourdough with glass remnants. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so you'll we'll make that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when Frank Sherlock came into town and read at uh, Poetic Research Bureau weeks ago we went to your to play to your place for dinner and you cook so do you cook a lot are you yeah i do cook a lot okay. yeah I, i'm not i don't have any uh natural ability i don't think i'm a cook but you want to cook those things that people oh, wrote about for for another performance okay for uh enter text which is okay. uh, a series of uh readings that are done here in Los Angeles. Yeah, Henry Hoke and Marco Di Domenico do it. It's called Enter yeah. Text. Yeah, it's great. Um, I do. I do cook maybe three, four, five times a week, and I love cooking. But I'm not. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm really just a menu cook. I know how to, I know how to develop flavors really well now, but I, I'm not <laughs> like, if you put me in like top chef, like, you know, the five minute challenge or something, I would, you know, I'd, I'd fail. <laughs> I need, I need a recipe basically. There's no shame in that. There's a few mm-hmm. dishes I can do on my own that I have from my family, but I could ask something. Okay. I could ask you, um, this question about your work. Um, as a taxonomist, right? And how this, um, inf- you know, influences or not has anything to do with your poetics or poem-making process? Yeah, uh, I, I work as a linguist at Google where I build taxonomies and uh, ontologies of word ontologies. And I think, I, I used to think you know, that had nothing to do with my poetics or or my work. But now I realize that I'm online, you know, maybe 16 hours a day. And uh, all of that immersion online definitely feeds into my work. I would None of my books that we were talking about a little bit today, Fright Catalog and Demon Miso, Fashion and Child, would be possible without the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, it's more, it's, I don't think my work's about the internet, but it's definitely enabled by it um, in some sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a necessary component of your work, at least, right? I mean, it's, they're, they're inextricable. Like it's not speaking directly to the internet, but if you take the internet out of under castle, you take the internet, you even take the internet out of fright catalog to a way it just, it becomes a different, a different thing right because the the color the color scheme generated True, that there's a the fry catalog has is a color book and, and each of the pages determined by an online color theme generator mm-hmm. um so i mean yeah it's uh and also a lot of the language was culled from uh sources online uh world of warcraft forums and um you know H.P. Lovecraft texts. I didn't actually go into the book. I just found the texts online, and and and, uh, mm-hmm. and not to make and not to make this sound like your guys's work isn't special because of that in any way. But I feel like it. Something that I would want to kind of like mention is that a lot of like what I might call cutting edge work is in the literary world throughout like you know the last hundred some odd years has often followed like recent kind of technological innovations in printing, uh, you know, information sharing technologies, whatever, whether it's like the, the, uh, the amazing visual poetry that came out when we had like, sure. w- when the open carriage typewriter was. Yeah. I feel like this know, is creative. a bit different. I feel like mm-hmm. the, the, uh, I would, I would definitely say this is a bit different, but I feel like it, it does share like some, you know, just like, this is what, what, you know, this is where people are, you know. Sure, but it, like it's unavoidable. Like to me, the internet is the new nature. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we're, yes, immersed, we're immersed in it in some sense. It is very that different that in that mm-hmm. way. Every day, like. It's a natural world that we can yeah. sort of, I don't know, in this very, who, know, who knows what false means anymore. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's. It's not simply a new technology like right. the carriage True typewriter. That. Sure. It's, it's, it's a, a new mode of existence. I, right? I yeah, like I said, yeah. I, I work eight hours a, hours a day on the yeah. internet. When I go home, I'm, I'm on the internet. 
when you're watching TV, like nowadays, technically you're on the internet. Yeah. The only time I'm not on the internet is when I'm in the shower or, or sleeping. Or sleeping right? yeah. which I'm, but I'm you, don't sure... have a, you don't have an internet shower? <laughs> I'm sure they're <laughs> working on it. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll probably be in my sleep soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, uh, I think it's a much more profound technological Yeah, obviously not than... to say that... And, the... bo- and both of your work like deals with it, I think, in... I don't want to use the word appropriate. I'll use the word appropriate. To me, it seems like an appropriate manner in that like it doesn't... It doesn't fight against that that paradigm shift into just internet culture, but it it, it doesn't ignore it uh, or or you know go to the cross praising it either. Sure. It just sort of accepts it into into yeah. the formal aspects of, right. of the work. Yeah. I mean, in, in very different ways, obviously, yeah. but it seems like that's something that you guys have in common. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the blogosphere was really the blog <laughs> was really important to the process of. Uh, working on the stuff that eventually became under castle um i feel like under castle is just a relic of all the stuff that happened within five years while like using a blog really right um and there's also this like private public aspect that goes on with blogging right and so have you know setting your blog on public being aware of people being able to see what you're doing um also, I think, influences the way that you write. Um, so the awareness of a whatever public looking at what you're doing also steers the poems in a whatever direction or something. Yeah, yeah. But, well, here's to the public. Here's to the people. Thanks for being on The People. Yeah, thanks, yeah. guys. Joseph Moscone and Felice Lucia Molina. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. Our theme music is Ockfiff by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or go to insertblockpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. We're going to go out with a track by the band The Fucked Up Beat, and it's from their album investigate strange weather patterns and the ufo cults of cold war nevada the song is called following american spies slash we all live in an atomic submarine i'm driving on u.s highway 30 south with my wife